This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. Hey, it's Seamus from Newhoff Media Lafayette, and this is Inside Our Towns, the podcast about the people and places that make our communities great. Season 2, Episode 4. On the phone with us right now, my buddy, Brandy Christensen, President and CEO of Mental Health America, Wabash Valley Region. How are you doing today, Brandy? Today. I'm doing really good. I'm excited. We've uh, been able to talk quite a few times. And we had a whole bunch of plans that the pandemic completely ruined in uh, 2020, but we will get back to those at some point. Um, but of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so I thought of you uh, for the podcast this month. And um, what's for I want to start off with? How did you end up in the mental health field? Well, uh, actually a passion of mine because of lived experience um addressing my own mental health in my uh, early 30s actually led to a completely different trajectory of my own personal life and uh i'm kind of of the belief that when you know the path you ought to light it for others and so um you know i i just ended up the next thing the next thing the next thing and then the next thing you know here I am uh, operating a, a 24-7 mental health non-for-profit. Now, you could have been successful in many fields because I've met you and you're super intelligent. So what keeps you in the field every single day? Well, first of all, flattery will get you everywhere, so thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but uh, what keeps me here is just um, the crushing need. Uh, you know, I, I think you can hear the responsibility I feel when I use those words, but, you know, we're put in a position where we have the opportunities to serve, you know, all these, all these counties across north central Indiana, and, and we, therefore, we have all this data at our hands, and, and so we know how many people are getting help, how many people need help, how many people aren't getting help, and the numbers just keep skyrocketing, and so, you know, I guess, I would love to put myself out of this job, um, but until that happens, I just I, I feel a passion to do everything I can to help our community. What's the hardest part about getting up and knowing what you're going to deal with during the day? What's the, what's the hardest part about that? Just knowing, um, you know, it's, it's a flip side of, of, of the same coin. I'm energized because... Uh, I feel very lucky to have uh, to be operating in a with a within a noble profession, but it's also exhausting because you know that there for every person that is ready for help and and that is able to come in and, and get the help that they need. There's you know I don't know I'm just throwing a number out there because it's very unscientific, but there are a lot of people that are not ready uh, to get the help that they need. And then there are, are certain basic needs that if within our community, such as homelessness, you know, uh, things like that, that there, there are people that we can't help immediately that we want to. It's very hard not to take that home with you. And you talked about, I mean, we talked about that previously about homelessness and, and mental health and homelessness, homelessness kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Totally intersectionalized. Uh, you know, domestic violence is in there, early childhood trauma, substance use, mental health. They all, you know, they all come from the same root. 
and um, you know, dis- disproportionately, people who are affected by those mental health challenges are also experiencing homelessness. Well, how would you many? I mean, you did kind of uh, didn't give us a percentage, but you know, if you had to guess the percentage in our population in our communities, what what percentage of people do you think need to get help? right now that just think that there's just there's something wrong with them but they don't know what it is how high do you think that percentage is i think it's uh 20 to 25 percent and i say that because i'm including people that are maybe just starting to manifest some sort of symptoms and they aren't really even conscious that it could be a mental health situation so you know getting those early interventions in place i would say about minimum 25%. We know that, you know, nearly everybody has been affected by the pandemic in one way or another with their mental health. Anxiety is normal. Depression is normal. Isolation makes us feel depressed. All those things are normal. But people that that really need to get some action uh, planned towards, you know, just as you would with diabetes or any other um well, let's let's talk about the pandemic because the pandemic un, unraveled a lot of stuff. Um, people need to be around people, and some people really need to be around people. So, how is, did that affect what you guys do over the past two years? Well, so if we we um, we call it mental health. The pandemic was a pandemic. We knew that the numbers were rising anyway, especially among youth for. Um, mental health challenges such as depression, anxiety, and um, bipolar disorder. But the pandemic, I mean, the numbers of people that began what we call self-seeking, I mean, the numbers just tripled. So it exposed what was already there. We knew that a lot of our social infrastructure was uh, fractured and siloed, but the pandemic, you know, really just put a glaring light on that. And I think in some regard, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in some regard, it also normalized uh, seeking mental health and, and in some ways diminished the stigma. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, people with a, a diagnosed serious mental illness that we were talking about when we were talking about mental health. We're also talking about, you know, in a very real way, our kids, we were feeling anxious because they were picking up on the anxiety of their parents who didn't know if they had a job or uh, none of us knew what the, what the um, coronavirus was going to do, especially in the early stages. But, you know, there are financial components to it, um, all sorts of things. And so just going back to the basics, uh, you know, what can we do with anxiety? We can go back to what can we control? And... You know, I think it was an opportunity for us to talk to people. I know you had us on mm-hmm. uh, talking to people. What can we do uh, in, in a very uncertain world? And it felt a little disingenuous, honestly, because I was dealing with the same thing. I didn't know if it, I mean, I was, <laughs> I, you know, I was disinfecting my groceries like most everyone was. We didn't know. But what we did know is that if you can control one small corner of your world, it helps. It helps with anxiety. And so uh, we did a lot of recommendations for uh, 
family time. Let let the let the child pick out what they want to do. Um, you know, just small doses of of control in an otherwise really chaotic reality. Our guest is Brandy Christensen, President and CEO of Mental Health America, the Wabash Valley region. You kind of touched on the stigma real quick, and I know this is one of your most frustrating things because it's hard to explain to someone what's wrong with you when it's not diabetes or it's not cancer, but it is affects them just as much as something like that would do. So how much time do you guys work on the stigma and what what do you hope comes out of this at some point? And we're going to talk about, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month and what that actually means. But, you know, the stigma is the hardest part, right? It is. It's getting better. Um, and you have to understand that just like every other thing in our culture, right, it's long lived stigma. You know, I, I just did a presentation uh, in Clinton County earlier this week. Um, it was based, at, I mean, it's just based on ignorance, right? So in the early days before we had psychiatry and before we understood the brain at all, uh, you know, mental illness was considered either somebody uh, gave birth or was conceived during a full moon, hence the word lunatics, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, the, the, our language, our basic language is full of cultural programming from, from centuries past. And one thing that consistently remains true is that almost all stigma is based on just a lack of information. So it's just one of those things. And that's why I think, and I got to give a shout out um, to the teachers and the, and the guidance counselors that are working hard to incorporate what we call social emotional learning. And it's just basic regulatory stuff, emotional regulation. It's, um, you know, preemptive learning skills so that some of these, traumas and some of these mental health challenges can be intercepted earlier. Um, and by doing that, it normalizes. It normalizes mental health. And it just, as it ought to be, uh, in my opinion, uh, it ought to be just lumped into regular health. Mental health is regular health. If, you're, if your mental health is not balanced, um, it's going to affect your entire, your entire body. It's going to affect every every part of your life. So just every time we get an opportunity to talk to people, we just remind them, you know, that imbalances um, in your brain, uh, you know, there's chemistry involved. It's, it's not rocket science. It's not. We try to demystify and therefore just tackle the taboo uh, every chance we get because it's, it's not real. It's just misconception. Um, and, and we just try to normalize it so that more people can get help. And it's a generational thing. Yeah. And younger people are more open to it, and hopefully that will improve outcomes. Uh, I think the younger generation is getting used to a lot of stuff that's going to help us out down the road. And I'm sure that someone my age said that when I was a kid, too. I hope. <laughs> Without a doubt. I, if we can't see it, there's a, a commercial with Allstate about becoming your parents. Yeah. Oh, it resonates. It resonates so much. So, you know, I'm not too worried. I'm worried about the kids because I don't know how to help them. And that's that's why we uh, uh, collect what we can from screening data and, and young people calling 
our crisis line, but it's also every opportunity we get to go in the schools. You tell us, what are you dealing with? Because I think, um, you know, from, from my standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. I have no idea what the reality is for a kid going to school right now. Yeah. And uh, we just have to listen, and then we have to give them the tools uh, that, they, that they need to be able to dig themselves out of uh, the, the mental health crisis that we're facing. Because we just don't have enough providers. We, we, we've got to get in front of it. I've always heard that a lot of alcoholism and drug abuse is kind of is self-medicating for yeah. something that's going on. How, how true is that statement? Uh, we call it comorbidity. Um, you know, depending on who you talk to, it could, the belief is that uh, it could be 60%. Um, some people think that substance use disorder should be its, its own uh, mental health, um, you know, diagnosis. But we feel, you know, that it is. It's, it's correlated that people who self-medicate um, oftentimes, and not all the time, sometimes they do know that they have a diagnosable mental illness, but, um, you know, it's, it's people that are trying to manage the challenges that they're experiencing with their mental health. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I had a sister, um, and, and that rings very true, uh, with her experience. She's no longer with us. Um, and we, uh, we miss her every single day, and I know that I'm not the only one that has that experience. So, what we um, what we do at uh, at Mental Health America is we we have peers, um, peer recovery specialists that work hand in hand uh, with people with mental, people's mental health, with their substance use, and just building that recovery capital and, and getting them plugged in because we know. Initially, we've got to stop the, the use, but underlying, there's something there. Let's deal with it so that we can have a complete recovery, not just uh, sobriety. This is Inside Our Towns, the podcast about the people and places that make our communities great. Our guest, Brandy Christensen, President and CEO, Mental Health America, Wabash Valley Region. Let's talk about Mental Health Awareness Month. I mean, obviously, this is a campaign to uh, get it out in the forefront. It's okay to not be okay, um, and uh, so what is it? What is your goal? What do you hope for May every single year that comes out of it? And tell us a little bit about what you guys have planned for this month. Yeah, great. So it's our Super Bowl, and I'm very football oriented. Anyone who knows me, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to talk in football analogies. It's our Super Bowl. We prepare for it all year long. It's the one time a year that. Um, corporations and oftentimes schools and, and, and other, um, you know, chambers of commerce will invite us to come and speak. And we relish it. We relish the opportunity um, to get our resources into people's hot little hands. And um, and basically what we have prepared this year is we're probably going to say yes to every single speaking engagement that we're invited to. Additionally, we're going to invite the community into our house again like we did last year. Um, and we're going to have a proclamation uh, proclaiming May as Mental Health Awareness Month, and we'll get every elected official that we can. And we're really lucky in Tippecanoe County that we have so many elected officials that are on board with the mental health uh, concerns of our community. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a big ode to all the people who are caring for other people, 
Hot Dogs for Heroes, uh, the same day that we did the proclamation. We'll do that again. I don't have um, an exact date, but I want to drive people to the website because it will be um, it will be on by the time we get uh, to to May. And uh, so that website is www.mhawv.org. I'm, I'm, I'm showing my age because I know you don't have to say the W anymore. I still say it. I don't care. <laughs> At least you didn't say WW. At least you got your U on the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we, um, you know, we have the annual uh, Toast to Mental Health that is uh, facilitated and hosted by our friends, the Daybreak Rotary um, Club here in Lafayette. And, and we do that with a couple of our other partners. Nami and um, and Willowstone, and we're we're going to be doing these proclamations through every county that we serve. Some of the rural counties um, don't get as much love, and probably need it as much, if not more, than other people because they're not resource rich. And so, you know, we're going to try to drive that more uh, equitably through uh, the other counties that we serve. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, that's, I, I really do need to talk to someone, give me two things. One, tell them the first step that they need to do to get help. And then two, <clears throat> take me through what the process is going to be like and how that's going to look for them. So Because everyone wants to know how it's going to go, right? They call the number. W- what are the next steps? So take me through a typical, and I know they're not typical, but take me through what someone who is listening right now that wants to get help what they should do, and what that's going to look like. Okay, so if they want to utilize our free community service, uh, the Navigator program, all they have to do is uh, go to our website that I talked about, the um, mhawv.org, and it, it says uh, Navigator, click for an appointment. They click on that. We've made it as very free as possible, and then they can just sign up to talk to one of our Navigator case managers. And uh, what's going to happen is they're going to sit down uh, with the navigator, and this can be done over the phone. I know a lot of people still have concerns. It can be done in person. The preference is uh, is incumbent upon what the person wants to do. We're going to go over their insurance if they have it. If they don't, we're going to try to connect them uh, to an insurance navigator. And uh, then we're going to talk about what it is that they're going through and what it is that they that they hope to uh, achieve with their therapy, whether it's substance use or they need uh, neuropsych assessment or whether they just need some therapy or whether they're looking for medication management. And then uh, what happens is our navigators are huge advocates. That's what they do. And they will call all of the um, places identified by the, by the client. So in other words, they're going to say, well, okay, your insurance, you're qualified for this provider or that provider. I'm going to be honest, this one's a uh, two-month wait. This one, with your insurance, will have a copay. They'll go through all of those details. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're just trying to do it by yourself, there's a reason why we created this program. The red tape is ridiculous. And there is a critical uh, provider shortage. So that's why our program was created. We're going to sit down and go through all those details with you. And we'll, we can try while you're in the office to uh, to call the places. Uh, oftentimes, it's what the navigator has to do that we have to block off times for them to call all these places and, and try to get a yes. Um, that's that's how it is. It's, it's pretty rough out there. 
And I just want to give a shout out to our navigators because it is a tough job. They're doing, they're removing those barriers for our clients and they're dealing with a lot of people who are compassion fatigued. They're getting a lot of no's before they get a yes, but they never stop working on behalf of the client. And then um, they're going to get the appointment. We're going to, if they're, if they're higher need, if they, if they want to be connected to a peer for weekly stabilization while they are waiting for an appointment, we will do that. And our peer will check in with them weekly. Our navigator will keep checking in with them. And then once they're placed in and they've done their uh, clinical therapies or whatever service that they're looking for for 30 days and they're satisfied, then we close them out of the system. So it's really a short-term case management just designed to remove the barriers um, to entering uh, mental health clinical services. How can the community help? Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, well, um, first of all, the community can spread the word about the the services because I do want to, before we hang up, I do want to spotlight the the crisis center as well because that's a 24-7 service that we have for our community that if someone's experienced mental health crisis um, or feeling suicidal, that that number, there's a trained crisis intervention specialist on uh, waiting to take those calls. So um, should I give that number now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It's 765-742-0244. And um, so I want to make sure that our navigators and our peers will give that number. And I know a lot of the providers here in the area can give that number too. Um, And now I've kind of lost my train of thought because I went off. (laughs) <laughs> You're fine. How, how can the community help? Yes, uh, they can give money. They can volunteer for that crisis line we just talked about. They can spread the word. Um, we do a holiday gift lift program in the uh, in the fall. We begin taking uh, donations for uh, indigent individuals with mental illness who otherwise wouldn't get a Christmas. Um, there are all kinds of volunteer things. We need people to um, donate their time and their talent as well, not just money. Um, And basically just help normalize when you hear somebody being really stigmatizing about, about someone, about their mental health, just kind of, is that really necessary? Yeah. I mean, you don't have to become holier than thou or anything. I mean, you can just approach it with a curiosity. Wow. That's interesting. Is it, is that really how we want to be communicating with each other. Um, and then they can get educated. We offer all these free education uh, classes that are evidence-based to our community so that we can do things like normalize uh, getting help from mental health. We can, we can help people learn how to identify signs and symptoms uh, of someone that might be contemplating suicide. Um, you know, we, we have tools to give our community, and you can be a gatekeeper. That's what we call people who are trained in QPR. That stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. And it's like our Suicide Prevention 101. Evidence-based, it costs you like an hour and a half of, your, of, of time in your life. And, and it just sets you up. So if you ever do encounter someone, a coworker, a family member, anybody, you, you have the tools uh, to be able to have those difficult conversations. 
So, I mean, those are the types of things that I think would, would help our community in a big way. Well, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Our guest, Brandy Christensen, President and CEO of Mental Health America, Wabash Valley Region. Their website is www.mhawv.org. And the crisis line you were talking about, that number again, I'll put it all in the description, but 765-742-0244. I think what you guys do is amazing. I think that your passion for this is uh, very evident. So be sure to thank everyone that works with you on, on our behalf also. And I hope that uh, May will open up some awareness and, and hopefully open up some doors and get some people help that they need. So thank you so much for talking to me today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Seamus. We appreciate the voice and the opportunity to be heard and everything that you do for our organization. Uh, keep it rolling. Keep playing those kick-butt tunes. <laughs> we will. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.